Welcome back to the Grazia Life Advice Podcast. Thanks for being with us. I hope you are really, really well. This week, we are getting life tips from a radio host who's been a part of our lives for over 20 years. Hello, my name's Emma B. I am a DJ on Magic Radio, and I am this week's guest on the Grazia Life Advice Podcast. Emma B. tells us about growing pumpkins, losing tomatoes, and how a horticulture obsession is helping her through the menopause. And I think as we all get a little bit older, we need to find time and space to breathe and to be ourselves and to think. And I'm a very sort of frenetic, chaotic person in a lot of ways. But the kind of, you know, the sort of the detail and the patience that you need with gardening and that lack of control that you have over the final outcome has been a real gift. And she talks about choosing the right life partner, describing a terrible experience with an ex-boyfriend. We went to this posh do and I had to like beg, borrow and steal everything that I was wearing. And I came down the stairs sort of, you know, so impressed with what I'd managed to get together. And I thought I looked amazing. And he just looked at me and just went, oh, well, I suppose I'm just going to have to walk around with big signs saying sorry all afternoon. As ever on Grazia Life Advice, we'll end with Emma's worst ever piece of advice. For her, it was a crossroads moment in her career. And this radio producer took me out of a session, basically, and just went, you know, the thing is, is that it's all really good, but I think you just need to stop being so Emma. If you could just be a little bit less Emma, then that would be great. And I immediately burst into tears, having, number one, no idea what that meant. It was so good to talk to Emma about all of those things, family, career, living in Ibiza. There's so much in this episode. I really hope you enjoy it. Emma, thank you so much for being with us on the Grazia Life Advice podcast today. I'm so excited to speak to you because you were on my airwaves when I was a teenager, in the car, the soundtrack to my to my younger days. So I'm very happy to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I am in the uh, our sort of makeshift studio today that we had to erect promptly during COVID. And um, it's, it's lovely. I feel like I'm just having a cup of tea with somebody who I hugely respect. So thanks very much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. So you're here to share your um, life advice with us today. But um, before we jump into your uh, advice... I wanted to talk to you about your um, your latest foray into gardening. You've been um, gadding about in various flower beds with thoughts on the menopause and and all sorts. Do you want to just tell us quickly about what you're up to? Yeah, I kind of I started this in I started this in COVID because we've got this. We're lucky enough to have this rambling big garden, and uh, my mum and my dad were always keen gardeners and. I sort of uh, in my in my exploration of trying to find people like me on Instagram and sift through all the the you know the legions of beautiful young people to find people like me I came across this incredible gardening community of really dynamic people who are doing great work and sort of got stuck in and my husband lovingly dug uh, three raised beds for me and and I've sort of retreated it's my meditative place and i think as we all get a little bit older we we need to find more and more 
time and space to breathe and to be ourselves and to think. And I'm a very sort of frenetic, chaotic person in a lot of ways. But the kind of, you know, the sort of the detail and the patience that you need with gardening and that lack of control that you have over the final outcome has been a real gift. So I thought I'd kind of write about it and and, and blog a little bit. And so In Beds with Emma B was born and I've talked to some lovely people and, and I've grown some amazing stuff. I grew pumpkins this year. I grew a pumpkin. I mean, wow. it's amazing. It was really amazing. So uh, you can, yeah, you can find that at the moment. And and I think hand in hand with menopause, I'm sort of, <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's hilarious. I've got this sort of romantic notion that in three years time, I'll be wafting around my field of, you know, all sorts of stuff in long dresses, listening to Fleetwood Mac, having totally mastered and conquered the hot flush. But, you know, because of, because of all the things that I've grown in my vegetable patch, I'm going to do it holistically. Um, the reality of it is it's all looking a bit muddy and rubbish at the moment, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Totally. And it's, that's like part of the journey, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's something that I think with gardening has been such an incredible lesson for somebody like me who needs to know things now. I need to do it now. And we could have done it yesterday. Um, and and actually, you know, when you put something in the ground, you love and nurture it and you care for it. And you have no idea what's going to happen. And nature will, you know, will send you a swerve ball every time. I lost all my tomatoes this year. Every single last one of them, all of them. And um, it's a great exercise in sort of going, hey, ho. And picking up and starting again and, you know, learning from your mistakes. And uh, if I can do that in one small 10 foot square patch at the back of my garden, then I've got hope. (laughs) And it sounds like your husband was um, very supportive and encouraging of your um, of your new interest. And it brings us on to your first piece of advice, which is about the person that you end up with in life. And, and the way you put it was, if they make you feel bad about yourself, you're with the wrong person. So I wondered if you could just tell us a bit about this and who said it to you and, and what it's meant to you in life. I mean, it's it's not very complicated. It's not very profound, but it's stuck with me and I've passed it on to many people and to my and to my kids. And it's really very straightforward. And I was at university at the time and I was going out with a guy who was like so handsome and he had a car and he was really swish and he went to parties and I went with him and sort of, you know, it's all these things that you think are supposed to make you happy. And I was absolutely miserable. And I was, I felt fat and I felt ugly and I felt stupid the whole time. And it was because he really wasn't very nice. And it was just, he wasn't very nice. And I, I think there are, there are periods in your life where, well, especially as a young person, you, you never listen to the adults. You never listen to your parents because what do they know? They're old and you're really cool and young and vibrant and they're like nearly dead. So what do they know? <laughs> and and actually my mum really didn't fight it. She kind of let me experience it. And then very quietly one day said, you know, Emma, if you're with someone who makes you feel bad about yourself, you're with the wrong person. And I think for a long time, I probably didn't feel great about myself either. So when you when you do that, you look in all the wrong directions. You look in all the wrong places. And, uh, you know, that, that need for attention doesn't necessarily manifest itself as good attention. It can be bad attention as well. Yeah. And I think it was the first time I'd heard her. And 
I'd, I'd really taken that to heart. And it was very obvious very, very quickly then that he was the wrong person and was quickly binned. And, and, and actually kind of, you know, I've used that as a mantra for friends, for relationships, for the toxic relationships that we've always been in. You know, and my kids go through being in those kind of relationships. We all have had those relationships, either with 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 partners or lovers or friends or colleagues. And and it's really important to 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 recognize when somebody makes you feel bad about yourself. And it's not a blame game. It's not a it's not an aggressive thing. It's not a blame game. But I'm a huge believer in you know, not absorbing everybody else's shit, for want of a better word. <laughs> um, you know, when people say, oh, you're being paranoid and, it's, you know, and I try and explain to my kids, I'm like, you know, you, you start on that path and quickly you become someone to fix. You know, you, you're, you're the problem and everybody else has got a problem with you that you have to try and fix. And the vast majority of the time, it's just that everybody else is different. And, you know, but you have to recognise when you are in those relationships. And sometimes you have to be told to remind yourself. Yeah, I think especially when you're you're young, like I had a similar experience in a really bad relationship from when I was like 18. And I just thought that that's what relationships were like. I just thought they were really, really difficult and a nightmare and such hard work because that's what was my only experience. And it was only when someone said to me, hang on, you know, your relationship should be the good thing in your life, not the thing that's giving you all of this stress that I was like, oh, wait, relationships can be like good and easy. And then that became my sort of um, criteria for for future relationships, like how hard is this? Because actually it shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think you, you know, that's when you feel questioned to the core, you know, life is tricky and you're always going to, there's always going to be conflict and you're always going to argue about who had the last bowl of cornflakes and why did you park the car like that, you idiot? (laughs) Um, And all that kind of stuff. But when you to the core feel questioned, when you are unsure in everything that you do because it's either criticized. I mean, for goodness sake, this guy, I can't believe I went on. There was a, we went to a do once and I had no money as a student whatsoever. And he came from quite a wealthy family. And we went to this posh do and I had to like beg, borrow and steal everything that I was wearing. And I came down the stairs sort of, you know, so impressed with what I'd managed to get together and I thought I looked amazing and he just looked at me and just went oh well I suppose I'm just gonna have to walk around with a big sign saying sorry all afternoon and I think I literally went you know no total arsehole it was awful and the other thing about that piece of advice from my mum was that it was gentle and it was quiet and it wasn't complicated it wasn't you know that great life story those huge mantras that you have to impart it was just really timed and gentle um and yeah, it meant it meant a great deal. Your second piece of life advice is something that a school teacher told you. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. The inimitable Mr. Barry at my junior school. My junior school was a really fun place. I really enjoyed it. And uh, Mr. Barry was, I guess, the first person that I'd met as a young person who was flamboyant and artistic and got me and encouraged me. And he used to swan around the hall just being, I was completely attracted to him. It was completely, he was a mag, totally magnetic person for me. And he used to put on all the plays. 
and I always wanted to be the centre of attention. And there was a production of The Tinderbox, which is sort of an alternative Bugsy Malone, and it's all based in a speakeasy. And there are all these fantastic musical numbers like you do is <laughs> at school. And the teachers are tearing the hair out because there are just kids everywhere not doing as they're told. And I was like, this is this is chaos. I should be in the middle of this. Why have and I got the part of one of the club singers called Binny Hale. It's a real person. And I had one song to sing and I had one bit to do. And I was so upset. I was really, really, really upset about it. And I remember going home to my mum and my dad and just going, it's ridiculous. Josephine Lane's got the main part and she's rubbish. <laughs> Where is she now? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. National theatre, I think, but hey, you know. And and I was so I was so upset. But he sat me down and he'd obviously he'd obviously picked this up and you know, he'd sat me down when we were going through the 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 performance and he said, you know, you don't need the main part. And it's really important to me to kind of pass that on. Both my kids are in the arts and I was brought up in a house where being the best was important and that was a message that was passed on that perfection was something that we had to work towards. It's been it was something that was very difficult for me growing up and I think for him to have sat me down and said you don't need the main part you need to make the most of what this bit is and realising that in whatever you do, whatever you do, making the most of that of that job that you're given and doing it with grace and dignity and goodwill and hard work. It's not about the number of lines. It's not about the title. It's about those moments. And, you know, as we all kind of look back into movie history, it's not always the main parts. It's always, you know, the, that we remember. It's the great performances from the, all the tiny looks or the one lines or whatever that, that that stay with us. And and I think that resonated with me and it made a huge difference about being part of the arts and learning that it's a very worthwhile thing to be part of something that you love on whatever level. And with my kids who were, who were both going into the arts, you know, emphasising to them that the reason why you're in and we're lucky enough to be able to work in the arts, in the creative industries, that you do it because the creative industries, because it's fun and millions of people all over the world don't have that privilege to, to work doing something they love. And if you're going to do that, then it's worth being part of at any level. Um, it's a gorgeous place to be and enjoy it. Now, he's no Mr Barry, but uh, the Dalai Lama... <laughs> is behind your third piece of advice. It was only about a year ago, actually, and it kind of plays nicely into Mr. Barry because I wasn't on some spiritual quest. It wasn't a big journey for me. It was a book that my dad had said, you've got to read this because it's a great read. And it's it's written as a, an interview that a journalist did with the, the Dalai Lama a while back. And it's an amazing read. And of course, it's full of parables and wise notes and incredible just, you know, one-liners that you go, oh, my God, in his great wisdom. It's taken him a lifetime, but, you know, I would never have the capacity to to dial down into something with that much precision as he does. But there was something that he came that, that came out about his journey into Buddhism as a young man and the practice of faith and the practice of religion and the practice of whatever you do in life that the path has to be enough and it was an I have to say it was a real moment it was being it's been it's an emotional thing because as I said my my upbringing had, had always been 
you have to be number one and it has to be you have to have goals and you have to set goals and achieve goals and you know if you're not on radio one it's not worth being on radio and and for that to for him to sort of encapsulate all that for me in my head that confusion in my head was absolutely momentous it still might be my last tattoo actually the path has to be enough is so powerful it's so powerful and in this world that we live in of social media and likes and scrolling and next day delivery and immediacy to 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 bring it all back to the path what is your journey it you you know it doesn't matter where you end up it doesn't mean that you don't want to win the football game but you have to focus on you and playing the best that you can in order to get where it's going to get. And once it gets to the end of the game, if you haven't lost, it's okay because the journey was enough. And it gives you life and strength to to try again. And I think being in the radio industry, as I have gratefully for so many years, to really be happy as a, you know, as somebody that I'm 25 years into a radio career now. And yeah, I'm not on the breakfast show on Radio 1, but I'm in a really happy place. And I think that, it's been something, I think I probably say it to about 30 people every time I go out and have wine, um, you know, <laughs> so trying to be really clever in a corner somewhere. But it's it's really it's really had a profound effect on me that to constantly refer back to it and know that there is literally no point um, in doing very much at all unless the journey is an important part of it is life changing. We're just going to hop onto a quick break, but we will be right back with Emma B's fourth piece of life advice. So Emma, your fourth piece of life advice is to sleep when they sleep and to go to bed. I presume you're talking about children here. (laughs) And uh, who said this to you? This is the brilliant Tanya Byron. I did a a series with her many years ago and Claudia Winkleman where um, they, you know, it was the first couple of series. I was, I did the voiceover actually, where they were observing the behaviour of kids in sort of remotely and giving them tasks to do and putting the box of chocolates there and telling them no they're not oh yeah I love those shows absolutely fascinating and when I had when we had our first our first child Edie that was when I was doing doing this and I think as you know as parents as young parents there was there was there's there was this onslaught just as there's onslaught of information you know and uh you know books coming out like books coming have this book have that book do this do this and you're just knackered the whole time. And like, why, when on earth would you have time to read a blooming book anyway? And she, Edie wasn't a great sleeper. And she was, the, she said to me one day, she just went, you have to sleep when they sleep. And I think what we'd been doing is we'd been sort of trying to carve out some time to ourselves. So you're like, okay, look, I've done, I've done that bit now. And like, it'd be really nice if towards the end of the day, maybe we could get an hour together and watch the telly and relax. And it's just most of the time, those early days, it's not possible. And you need to really look after yourself. And And she said, go to bed, just go to bed. And in her inimitable way, you kind of just go, oh, okay. I'm, am I being told off, or am I, am I, am I, am I listening? So, and it was it's a piece of advice that I pass on to new parents, and all the time is to just sleep whenever they sleep, and don't, you know, just go to bed. So that we were doing this thing where I would do the last feed at about six o'clock, and then Damien, my other half, would stay up till midnight to do the last feed. And by then, I'd had like 
six hours sleep, had a five, six hours sleep. It was a rev- it was a revelation. So then I was like, well, if I have to stay up all night watching MTV in the corner of the sofa with a little one, that's fine because I've I've had a good sleep, you know, and it was it was just those I think it was a bit of maths as well, kind of going, Well, that makes why wasn't I, why was I thinking I could stay up till ten o'clock and then just do the two hours all the way through the night? It's ridiculous. Totally. And just how much easier everything is when you've had sleep. Like I realise now looking back into like the early days of parenting, how hard stuff was. And the reason why everything was so hard was just because my wife and I were just completely sleep deprived. And like, I remember things like trying to count out how many spoonfuls of formula I was putting in the bottle and like breaking down in tears because I couldn't count. I kept forgetting how many I'd counted and it was literally like five and I would just be like, one, two, three. And then I was so worried that if I put in more than five, I'd kill her or less than five, I'd kill her. So I'd be starting again. And like, actually, if I just slept when she slept at other times in the day, I wouldn't have been at this like ridiculous peak of shattered. Completely. Absolutely. And it's I mean, you know, it's 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 torturous. It really is torturous. And Billy, my second, our second he was, he was, I mean, Edie eventually got off. Billy didn't sleep for a year. Um, and uh, I remember sitting on the top of the landing and I'd, 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 I was sitting on the floor with him in my lap in absolute floods of tears, literally unable to string sentences together, um, which is what I do for a living. <laughs> so to try and then go to work. And what I was doing is, you know, I was saving every single last bit of energy when I went back to work for those three hours that I was on air, because that was that was my capacity. That was it. Three hours of being able to speak. And then the rest of the day was just monosyllabic grunts. You know, it's the same with menopause now. You get your sleep sorted and life starts to become a little bit more reasonable. Your fifth piece of advice, Emma, could you share this with us, please? My fifth piece of advice was from a friend called Karen in in Ibiza. And we lived in Ibiza for a few years, uh, which was something I'm very proud of. Um, How nice. Yeah, yeah. Dreamy. <laughs> it, it was. Uh, it, was never an, for, it was never a forever thing. We just made a decision on a penny and all of a sudden we were living in Ibiza and Billy was running around with no clothes on and speaking Catalan and Edie was in a French school speaking Spanish in the playground and for 18 months it was a really, really nice thing to do. And I, you know, this is my advice. If you ever have an itch to live abroad, do it. it you, know, you can always come back, but do it. It's it's awesome. It's just awesome. It makes you feel part of the world. And I think something that we're all lacking at the moment is, you know, with rampant nationalism everywhere and is, is to go and live somewhere out of your comfort zone in a place that you don't know, because it is a remarkable thing to do. But she had a teenager at the time having, you know, the teenage, it wasn't ever, there wasn't any, there weren't any major problems. She was, the teenager was just being a teenager. She was just being difficult. And Karen said to me one night and I'd gone round and we were having a bottle of wine and, and I was just like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you, she was always so reasonable and, you know, quite sort of European about it, matter of fact, and, you know, a bit pragmatic. And, and I said, I don't know how you do it because, you know, I would be worried sick. And she said to me, she just said, you know, the minute that you realise as um, as a parent that you are there to take the shit, it becomes easier because you have all these stories when you've got kids about, you know, you're, they go off to play dates and the parents come back. Oh, my God, your children are so lovely. They're amazing. So polite and gorgeous. And they get in the car and just, you know, go revert back to being 
hideous to you. And I think that there is there is a point at which you kind of go, that's what you're there for. You're 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 there to sort of be those boundaries. You're there for them to work out. You know, of course there are, there are times where you go, hey, I might be your mum, but I'm a person too, and that hurt. That's too much. And those boundaries are important. But also by the same token, they need to be able to kind of push back and they need to be able to work out how they feel and they need to be able to say things out loud that they wouldn't normally say. And that's that unconditional love that you have for your children is that's their safety net. And and they're going to push those boundaries and they're going to push those buttons. And I think it was a, it was just a really interesting thing. I'd never heard anybody say that before. But as soon as you kind of just realise that's what you're there to do, it is going to be difficult sometimes. And it's not textbook. And there isn't a book that will say, if you just do this, then everybody will be fine. Life does get a bit easier. And it and it did. Totally. And just them being able to trust that they can express themselves and push you in that way and that you will still be there for them. I feel like I'm noticing that even with a toddler, like that that's my job to just be consistent and to be resilient and to not be like, oh, you hurt me when you told me I was a stinky bum head. Like, you just have to like yeah, suck it up. And obviously there are times I can imagine when you do have to say, as you said, I'm a human being and that did hurt. But yeah, I think a lot of the time it's probably a good sign, right? That they trust yeah. you enough that yeah. they can do that. Yeah, completely. And um something that I'm very proud of is um and I'm 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 you know, I'm no expert parent. I'm not putting myself in that category at all. But one of the things that I'm really proud of, my daughter's 18 and has left home now. And we talk about everything and she shared some really important stuff with me um that I've kind of just gone, okay. I think you did all right there, Emma. And having that that trust, especially in this bloody world that they live in, and you know, of of also they've got so much to to so many challenging things, so much to be wary of, so many hurdles. To be able to have that relationship is 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 I'm very grateful, but I'm very grateful and and that she feels that way. And and yes, I think trust is built up on that basis, isn't it? On that unconditional basis that you kind of just go, okay, yeah. You just need to do what you do and I will Mm. always be here. Your final piece of good advice is to stop being grateful. (laughs) (laughs) And is it uh, true that Annie Mack said this to you? So I'm I'm actually stealing this because it was it was passed on to me because it was said to Annie said this to my super good friend and longtime radio pal Sarah Cox and Sarah then passed it on to me and after I left Radio One and then, you know, kind of t- t- took the leap into this this apparent void, of, you know, which is just nonsense. It's one of those places where you work. I had the best time at Radio One. Obviously, I did. But, you know, you it's very easy to think that radio life isn't worth living outside outside those those walls. So it was it was a really scary time. And then Sarah left Radio 1 and we both did all sorts of different things and then both kind of came back and Sarah's obviously flying and doing super, super well on, you know, lots of different things and my radio career is still going strong. And in fact, Harriet Scott as well, and you know, who's on Breakfast at, at Magic, we've all had this conversation where we've all sort of sat there and said to each other, oh my God, you know, this time round, second wind, I'm so grateful. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just so grateful that I'm on the radio at all. And 
Um, and I think it's something that's really specific to women. I think it's very specific to, you know, and then you add older women to that. The, the lack of confidence as you sort of enter your late 40s, early 50s, and <laughs> those kind of women, women of that age sort of drop off your radar. You can't, I can't see them anywhere. Yes. So this, this idea that we should all be so grateful is really pervasive amongst women in the workplace. And Annie, who is obviously just wonderful and hugely talented, I think stopped Sarah and just went, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what is going on? Why, why are we all so grateful? We're really good at this and we've worked really hard and they're not doing you a favour out of some kind of sort of misplaced sympathy. You've, you've earned yourself a job and that's great. Be happy. Be happy about it that you're still doing it. And, you know, there are so few of us that do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And to, to be able to you should, you should be happy. But she was she just said, and as Sarah said to me, stop saying grateful. Emma, you've said it about three times. Just stop saying it. Like, you're really bloody good at this. You're great at this. Why Why do you have to be so thankful? And I, I, I've heard myself saying it to bosses in the past, going, thank you for my job. Thank you. And it's like, well, <laughs> like, it's nonsense. And yeah, it was a really nice thing to do. It was a really kind of sisterly thing to do in this industry that is... You know, the big male radio personalities would never even consider using that kind of vocabulary. No. Can you imagine them all sitting around talking about how grateful they are to to still be in this in this industry? I mean, yeah, not at all. It says it all. Yeah, not at mm. all. And it's it, there's a there's a lot of work being done to improve so you know visibility and confidence and keeping women in the workplace. And you know, there's some great great work being being done. But we all worked really hard, really hard for where we are. And for her to say that, I was, you know, yeah, it was a really, it was a brilliant thing to say. Finally, your seventh piece of advice is um, something that's not actually a very good piece of advice. And can you tell us what that is and who said it to you? So this was, the reason why this means so much as well, this was given, this was a bit of advice. I was, it was passed on as advice. It was just it was it was awful. It was like the worst thing you could possibly say to anybody, and it took me a long time to come back from from this. But it was a period where I had a little bit of an opportunity to kind of go left or right. It was a real junction moment, and it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And this radio producer took me out of a session basically and just went, you know, the thing is, is that it's all really good, but I think you just need to stop being so Emma. If you could just be a little bit less Emma, then that would be great. And I immediately burst into tears, having, number one, no idea what that meant. And number two, taking it to mean just, I don't like you, which is which is probably what it did mean a little bit. My youngest is on a very complicated journey, is what I'm saying at the moment. He's on a very complicated journey and... I can't think of anything more damaging to say to a child than to stop being themselves. And all that we're saying to to tell your children that who they are is amazing and that their heads should be held high all the time and that there's every behaviour is not personality, it's not who you are. Who you are is gorgeous and perfect and it always will be to me. And to tell somebody to stop being themselves is just hideous so the upside of that piece of advice is that I love being Emma screw you (laughs) and that actually you know passing that on to other people in order to to love who you are 
every bit of who you are is absolutely crucial to me. It's really important. It's still quite emotional saying that. I feel quite emotional now. Yeah. yeah, that's really moved me actually. And thank you so much for sharing that and for being on the show with me today. It's been so great to talk to you. I've really enjoyed listening to your life advice, good and bad. And um, I'll look look forward to um, reading your uh, gardening blog. <laughs> well, the, the garlic's going in today. Oh, okay. Stop the press. Stop the press, the garlic's going in today. But but your but with your little ones, how old are your little she's, ones? She's I've just got one and she's three. Okay, she's three. Grow some carrots in a pot. Okay. Grow some carrots in a pot because um the, the toddlers they love them because they 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 grow these huge green leaves that are really dramatic and look exactly like the carrots in a in a in a book, in a picture yeah, book. In Peter Rabbit. In Peter mm. Rabbit. And then when and when they pull them out, this bright orange thing that they can just dust off and eat straight from the ground. There's my there you go. There's my Well if it if it can get her to eat a carrot, I'm all for it. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> all right, cool. Emma, thank you so much. Take care. Bye bye. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's Grazia Life Advice podcast. And thanks again, of course, to Emma B for being with us and for being so brilliant. The usual final plea from me, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and do the like and share thing if you can, as it really helps us reach new listeners. Added to that, if you know someone who you think would love to hear Emma B's words of wisdom, please send them this link to listen to. They'll thank you and so will we. Bye for now. <laughs>